Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Olin has recently published a new book titled Bible Crawling, Finding Joy in God by Journaling Through the Psalms. You can find Olin's book on whipandstock.com. That's W-I-P-F and stock.com, as well as amazon.com. Now, here's Olin. 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 9. This is by way of introduction. 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 9. David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men, saying, Behold, David seeks to harm you? So, now you can flip over to Psalm 26. We're going to look at this Psalm of David, and we're going to look at the idea of David's integrity. You know, a lot of times when you read the Psalms, especially of David, but sometimes others as well, what you see the psalmist doing is that they start out a lot of times kind of um, protesting and saying, I'm innocent, I'm, I'm guilty of the crimes I'm being accused of. And a lot of times that can rub us the wrong way because maybe at first glance it seems a little bit self-righteous. But just imagine this scenario. Imagine if right now I just got started teaching and somebody burst into the back of the room and just screamed out, hey, this guy shouldn't be teaching Sunday school. I know he's been having an affair on his wife. It's been going on a long time. I, you know, I would respond and say, that's not true. That, that's a lie. I'm, I'm innocent. And, and what I'm saying in that moment is not, I'm sinlessly perfect, but of the specific charges I'm being charged at the moment, I'm innocent of those charges. And in like manner, David was under a season. This was almost certainly written during this time when he was on the run from Saul. And some of Saul's henchmen were bringing conspiracy theories to Saul, lying, you know, David's a bad guy. He's trying to usurp you. And that's what you see David doing. And so when you come across psalms like that, it's helpful to remember that so that you don't just say, well, this seems very self-righteous and arrogant. You know, they wouldn't ever say anything like this in the New Testament. I can't read this. It doesn't apply. Okay. And here's what we want to think about this morning as we look at the psalm. If you've ever been falsely accused, and my guess is if you've been married, that's happened at least, right? It might be in a very minor way. Okay? It could be something massive, such as you're at work and somebody accused you of stealing from the boss. That would obviously be pretty bad. But oftentimes it might even just be the small, more subtle accusations. You're in an argument and somebody says, your tone was very harsh. This is totally hypothetical. And uh, you think to yourself, I don't think my tone was very harsh. And you even think or maybe say out loud, I wish that we actually had recorded the conversation so that we could have a judge come in and weigh in on was my tone false or not, which, you know, probably wouldn't really solve the problem. Uh, I've actually tried that one before. Uh, what do you do when you're falsely accused, whether it's a big thing or a small thing, how should you handle that? And really, a lot of it is about your integrity. It's about your prayer life. And so just three points I want us to think about this morning. What does it really mean to have integrity? That's a word we toss around a lot, especially in church circles or maybe we're talking about politicians. We want a man, a person, a woman of integrity. Three things, honesty, holiness, and humility. So let's start in uh, Psalm 26. We'll start in verse 1. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity and... I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. For your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. So literally, in the Hebrew, the first word there, vindicate, is literally judge me. You say, well, that's strange. Why do so many translations translate it as vindicate me? Because David is saying, God, I want you to weigh in on this case. 
I want you to be the judge that weighs in on this case between me and Saul or whoever was falsely accusing him. And I'm fully confident that when I'm judged, I will be found innocent. I want to be vindicated. This is not a bad desire. It's, it's a good desire. It's a normal desire. It's a right desire to say, I want to be vindicated. And so in a sense, David says, I'm going to appeal to the highest court of the land. I mean, try to put yourself in David's shoes for just a minute. What if you were an outlaw on the run, but you've done nothing wrong? And even the king, the ruler, who in the nation of Israel, I mean, that was kind of like being the pope and the president all in one. All the political and all the spiritual power, at least from a human perspective, the king of God's people, all this power, and he's out to get you. He's out to kill you, and he's falsely accusing you. Just the pressure you would feel, the injustice you would feel. But David says, there is at least one higher supreme court that I can appeal to. And God, I am praying, I'm turning to you, I'm asking you, come and weigh in on my case. It would be helpful in your mind right now, just pause and think. When's the last time I felt falsely accused? And what was my first go-to response? And I think most of the time, it tends to be defensiveness, right? We want to publicly vindicate ourselves in that argument, in that debate, whatever it is. And how does that tend to work for you? It oftentimes just seems to at least make you look more guilty, does it not? Oh, you're getting very defensive about this. You know, what? some Shakespearean play, you know, thou dost protest too much, I think. Sure, I didn't quote that right. I'm not a Shakespeare expert, but you know what I'm talking about, okay? The best response, I'm not saying it's the only response. I'm not saying there's never a time to defend yourself, okay? But the best response, the first response ought to be prayer. God, I need you to weigh in. I need you to help. I need you to speak for me. I need you to vindicate me, okay? He wants his enemies to be convinced of his innocence. And he knows he can't do that. They're lying about him, slander. God's got to speak. And so in a sense, he's saying, God, I've got a pattern of life. I'm not sinlessly perfect, but in the things that I'm being accused of, I haven't done them. And you know this, God, and I'm trying to live. Even though Saul's an enemy, he's a wicked guy, he's trying to kill me, I'm trying to live and still honor him as best I know how. This has been the pattern of my life, okay? That's so much of what integrity is. Look at verse 2. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. Literally in the Hebrew, the heart is it's the kidney. That's kind of what they thought was the deepest seat of the emotions because it was like hidden down deep and all the fat kind of down there. And that's like, that's the deepest wellspring. But it's like, in the deepest part of me, God, don't, don't just look in my mind and my thoughts. Look in the deepest wellspring of my heart, of my feelings, of the emotions, of the desires. And God, I don't, I think I can honestly say before you, I don't hate Saul. I'm not trying to kill Saul. I'm not out to get Saul. I'm innocent. Okay? So we ought to start with honesty before God. I knew a guy, this has been many years ago, and uh, I don't remember the exact circumstance. This guy travels a lot for work, and he, Christian, married to a Christian, and I don't remember, it was either that his wife had had a good friend who had had an affair, or was that her, his wife had watched some TV show, you know, one of these Dateline or something about some man that seemed to be great, and then he had an affair and a double family or something. So he gets back one time from a business trip after being on the road, and wife is having a minor league panic attack. You know, you are on the road all the time. I don't even know where you're at. You've got money and credit cards. I mean, like a lot of families, the man handled more of the financial business, you know, and she, you've got credit cards I don't know about an account. And I, you know, she kind of freaks out on him. And it's like, how do I know you're not out there and got some, another family in another state or something? It's just, okay, 
Man or woman, put yourself in that situation. You came home one day and your spouse starts kind of bringing those type of accusations. That's pretty heavy, right? That's not just like you burn the toast. <laughs> it would be very easy in that moment to get very angry and defensive, would it not? Understandably so. I think what this guy did, he had a spiritual moment. He responded really well. He said, listen, there's not an ounce of truth in what you're saying. But I can understand how, in light of the circumstances, you you know. So, you know what? Here's my phone. Here's my laptop. Here's every password, every account I know. Keep them as long as you want. You know what happened? The next day, she's like, I trust you. You know, it's like, I don't I can't even, you know, I get sick of looking at financial statements. I don't want to do this. I don't want to look at your phone records. I trust you. Because there was this kind of holistic disclosure. It's like, I got nothing to hide. I got nothing to hide. And it, was, it was integrity. It's not saying I'm sinlessly perfect, but in this thing that you're accusing me of, I have nothing to hide. I open the books. At minimum, now listen, sometimes you say, well, I, I, the person I'm dealing with at work, they're a scoundrel. I, okay. But with God, there ought to be that attitude in our heart, right? Hey, Father, I have nothing to hide from you. And here's the thing. Even if I did have something to hide from you, it doesn't tend to work very well. I mean, human beings have been trying to hide from God since the garden and the fig leaves and the trees. They never work. So there ought to be in our heart an openness and humility before God. I have nothing to hide. Listen, God doesn't need the invitation to come examine us. But it is a healthy thing to say to him, I want to be a willing part of this examination process, Father. I don't want to be hard-hearted, resistant. Have you ever had times in your life where you just don't want any silence? You don't want too much extended time alone with the Lord because you're worried that there might be something in your life that God might draw near and kind of put his finger on? You know, we're doing communion this morning and worship, and one of the great things is to, to sit there for a moment in silent confession, and it'll search me and try me. You don't need the invitation, but I am invited because I want to be soft-hearted. I don't want to be resistant. It's a great way to live. We, the more you can live this way with humanity, the better. But certainly we should live this way with the Lord in our prayer life. So true integrity is about honesty. But it's also about holiness. Look at verse 4. I do not sit with deceitful men, nor will I go with pretenders. I hate the assembly of evildoers. I will not sit with the wicked. I will wash my hands in innocence, and I will go about your altar, O Lord. So there's at least two or three things going on here. One, he's like, God, past tense. There's a lot of wicked people in Israel, and I haven't been hanging out with them. I'm not one of them, and that's not, they're not my running around buddies. I'm not influenced by them. But God, I'm not just protesting my innocence in the past. I am declaring I want to stay on this path. I want to be serious about holding. Again, think about the pressure that David must have felt. We, we know there's at least two different stories where David's loyal band of brothers were telling him, I'll tell you how to fix this problem with Saul. And what was the answer? Just kill him. You've got to check. I mean, right? I mean, two different times it's like, you snuck in his camp, and it's like God has put him in a deep sleep. And they were like, I'll kill him for you, David. You don't even have to get your hands dirty. I would love to chop his head off for you. And David, no. Right? Saul just happens to go to the bathroom in the cave where David and his warriors are hiding. And they're like, this is David. This God is speaking circumstantially. You have to. You're supposed, you can't let this opportunity go to waste. And again, 
When, when you read that passage, it literally says David tore his men apart with his words. It was like he was having to violently hold them back. I'm not going to let you do this. So David is declaring, God, I've been doing my best in very trying circumstances to be holy. And Lord, I'm proclaiming I'm going to move forward. I'm, I'm walking in holiness at the horizontal level with other human beings, but Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm going to worship when I can. I'm trying to genuinely worship you. At the vertical level, I'm trying to live in holiness before you. Holistically, my whole life, I'm trying to be serious about holiness. Okay? This is who I am. I hate the assembly of evildoers. I will not sit with the wicked. God, this is, I'm not just doing the outward motions. I'm not just checking the box. I had a friend and he said, you know, the way that a lot of Christians unfortunately deal with sin is like a muzzled dog. And what he meant is, you know, it's like, well, there are all these sinful things out there in the world. I'm not going to do them. <laughs> but I sure would wish I could, right? It's like I'm going to think about them. I wish I could get away with it. Okay? That's not David. He's like, God, I, I hate that stuff. I don't want to be that way. I want to be holy. I want to be on your team. Okay? I've got the heart. I've got the mind. I've got the soul. I've got the actions. Maybe no hardship is worse, maybe, than being falsely accused. But even under that pressure, David's like, I'm not going to crack. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to sinfully take matters into my own hands. He's honest. <clears throat> he's holy. But he's humble. Look at verse 7. <clears throat> that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and declare all your wonders. So this is ultimately not about me. This is not because I'm so righteous. This is not because I've worked so hard. This is a miracle that you have done in my heart and life. I'm going to give you the thought, the praise, the credit, the glory. Verse 8. Oh Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not take my soul away along with sinners, nor my life with men of bloodshed in whose hands is a wicked scheme and whose right hand is full of bribes. As for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on a level place and the congregation I shall bless the Lord. Okay, So true integrity also has a sense of humility. And here's the reason why. I mean, notice, he starts out all these proclamations of innocence and holiness. But then, look at the end of verse 11. Redeem me, be gracious to me. Well, if you're totally innocent, you don't need redemption. Right? If you're totally innocent, you don't need grace. <coughs> What's going on? And I bet this is an experience many of us have had. <clears throat> when you really start praying and getting before the Lord about this kind of stuff, Lord, vindicate me, fight for me, defend me where I can't defend myself. Typically, there does tend to be a little bit of conviction, right? I mean, I used the example at the beginning. If somebody was to burst into the room and say, Owen's been having an affair with somebody, I'd say, no, I'm not. Right? But if somebody said, well, have you ever even thought about having an affair? It's like, well, that's a different story. There's conviction. Right? Has there, has there ever been a lustful thought? I, I'm not going to be quite as passionate in my pounding of the pulpit of my innocence. Right? And there have been more than one times in an argument with my wife where maybe she'll say, I felt like you were very harsh in your tone. And honest before God, I'm thinking, I really wish we had secret tape recorders around the house. Because I just, I think, I, said, I, I felt like I said that dripping with mercy and gentleness. 
Now, I have been told sometimes, like, hey, even when you think you're being gentle, it ain't that gentle, right? But I can say, you know what, God, I, I feel like in this argument, I feel like I've conducted myself pretty well externally. The words that I've said, the facial expressions, the tone of all that. But I know in my heart, there is, there's some anger. There's a little bit of self-righteousness, right? There's a little bit of, I feel like in this fight, I'm at least 51% in the right and you're 49% in the wrong. And I'd like that to be on the record somewhere. Right? Am I the only one? Okay. Um, and here's the point. It's very easy. It's very easy. I had a friend. He was on staff with the church. He got fired. And, uh, and when they told me why they fired him, I thought, you know what? They, they probably should have fired him. And he was processing it with me. And when he would talk to me about it, he would say, listen, I haven't done everything they've accused me of. I haven't. It's not true. You know, if they're accusing me of this much, it's not true. But only I got to be honest with you. Like, the A through Z is not true. The ABC, it is true. I did do a couple of those things. I did say a couple of those things. And I feel really bad and I'm sorry. I was very encouraged. I was very encouraged because I felt like he was being, this process was happening. He was saying, hey, all this I, I didn't do, right? But there is a little bit of it. I did do, I want to confess, I want to be humble. I was very encouraged. The next time that we had a conversation, right, me, him, and the pastor, kind of like mediation, anybody want to take a guess, you know, the path that he took? This is all a lie. I haven't done any of this, you know. And I was just devastated. But I got it, right? When you're with somebody safe, that you really trust and you really love, <clears throat> It's, it's easier, it's not 100% easy, but it's easier to drop your guard and say, yeah, I got problems. I'm not sending this perfect. I got problems, I need help. Let me put my cards on the table. But when you feel like somebody is coming at you, that's virtually impossible to do that, isn't it? Like everything in you wants to raise the defenses, raise the wall, get out my spear, and go to battle. <clears throat> It's, listen, it's instinctual. But it doesn't make it right. This is a total side note. One plan on saying that, this, but maybe this will help somebody. Early in our marriage, some of y'all have heard me talk about this before, but I tell people the first three years of our marriage was really hard. I mean, like, we're both type A and we fought like cats and dogs. And part of what would be bad, right, because I'm in full-time ministry, so what would happen is we'd have these yelling matches, I would eventually come to my senses. Typically when she started crying and ran out of the room, that's when I would be like, yeah, this is not good. And uh, so I would have like about a 10-second prayer time, say, God, I'm sorry, you know, I need to be a better husband, better pastor, all that kind of stuff. And uh, so I would chase her down, find where she was at, a lot of times locked in the bathroom, you know, crying. And I would open the door and say, listen, you know, here are the ways that I have sinned in this interaction, you know, one, two. And uh, here's the 10 ways you've sinned in this interaction. And so uh, I'm going to apologize for my two sins, you apologize for your ten infractions, and then we can make up and everything will be fine. And she would say, you know, who are you? He's like, you know, 
Five minutes ago, you were screaming at me in the other room, and now you want to come in here like you're my spiritual leader and my discipler and try to reconcile? She's like, no. And she had this phrase. She said, my emotions aren't a light switch. I just can't flip gears like that. And I, in all of my understanding and gentleness, would say, well, you know, here's the 11th sin, right? Uh, Ephesians 4 talks about not letting the sun go down in your anger. That's what I'm trying to do. Obviously, you're not obeying that verse. So add that to the right end. Here's the point. That's the example of what not to do. All right, for anybody listening, certainly for the husbands, that's the example of not how not to do it. At some point, I got really convicted and broken. And I'm, I made a vow to my wife. And I said, I have been in overdrive trying to basically be junior Holy Spirit, point out all your sin for basically the better part of the year. So I'm making a vow to you, no matter what, unless you ask me a straightforward question, be careful, I'm going to give you a straightforward answer. I said, if you don't ask me a question, I am not going to say anything negative to you about anything. There'll be praise, there'll be encouragement. If I can't say anything nice, I won't say anything at all. You know, if we get an argument, I'll just listen, I'll try to own my own stuff. And listen, guys, I've made so many vows in my life and I feel like I've broken every single one, Right? Right, I'm not going to eat any desserts for the month, okay, except for tonight, right? Um, but somehow, by God's grace, I kept this vow. And so we would get into arguments, and I would catch myself, and I would just start confessing sin, and she'd be like, you're right, you know. Um, and she knows I tell this story, okay, so she's not offended. Uh, and that, that was probably about three or four months where I was confessing, I wasn't accusing, she was doing a lot of accusing, no confessing. But here, here's what happened. I, 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 would go, I, was, I was fuming on the inside. So I would just go, all, all of my thoughts about God vindicate me, I went and prayed. God, fight for me in this marriage. Because I'm trying not to fight for myself, and it doesn't seem like it's working very well. So just, I talked less. I listened more. I prayed more. Now just think about those three principles. And somewhere, I don't remember exactly where, it was about the three or four month process, you know, into this vow. Uh, we're having an argument. I'm confessing sin. She's kind of on the attack. And she stopped herself and she just said, wait a second. This is not all your fault. I know that I've got sin here as well. I know. And, and that was, I tell people, that's where we really hit rock bottom and things started to turn. There was a real change. And it still took some while to build new patterns and, you know, by God's grace, I tell people the last, the first three years were really hard. The last 21 have been pretty good. So, you know, there's hope. All right. Here's my point in all that. As Lena and I have gone back sometimes and diagnosed what happened in the early years of our marriage, she said, you know, at some level, when you were coming at me all the time with stuff, she said a lot of what you were saying was true. I was just so insecure as a new wife, I, could, I couldn't handle that. But when you quit the attack and gave me some emotional, spiritual space, it's like then, in a sense, I could drop my guard before the Lord and the Holy Spirit could come near and start to convict me and I could take ownership for my sin. Whereas, when I felt like I was being attacked all the time, listen, if you get used to having your defense mechanisms up with human beings all the time, you know what's going to just inevitably happen? Your defense mechanisms are going to be up even when you're before the Lord. It's like it's going to get stuck. Right? 
You know, it's like you play with the electric seat in the car too much and eventually it just gets stuck, like John Candy and playing strings and all <laughs> What I'm saying is, if you get so used, if you become a master at defending yourself to other people and their attacks because they're unfairly delivered or they weren't timed very well, whatever excuse you want to put on it, the problem is the shield will stay up even before the Lord. You'll start to believe your own defenses. And that can be scary. I mean, I saw it just recently with one of my sons. His personality is different from mine. When he's having a hard day, he can just get emotional and complain and blame shift. And I listen, I have my own sins, but those two don't tend to be one of them which means I really hate those two sins, right? We tend to be experts at hating the sins we don't struggle with, right? My sins are very understandable. Everybody <laughs> probably does it. Those two sins, that's what morons do. <laughs> so he and I are on the phone, like everything in me is wanting to say, be a man, quit complaining, quit blame shifting. And I got verses I can quote to, right? Philippians 2.14, do not complain about anything. It's probably the first verse I ever had him memorize way back in the day. But I had a spirit-filled moment, and I didn't say anything. I just listened. And I tried anywhere I could identify with him. I tried to say, I'm sorry. I understand. I know it's hard. And it, the conversation went on for a while. Finally, he's like, okay, I got to go, Dad. And... I want to go back and look, but it, it was a matter of minutes before he sent me a text. He just said, Dad, sorry for having the pity party. I know I need to spend more time in prayer, quit worrying about what I can't control. And just, listen, I'm not saying there's never a time to talk to somebody else about their sin. But the manner in which we do it really matters, right? So if one of you came, where's all this going? It's like, are you still connected to this psalm? I think so. All right. If one of you came up to me after Sunday school today and said, hey, let's just, let's just put it in marriage, right? I really feel like there's something in my spouse's life that I need to confront them about. Okay. I mean, I, that happens from time to time. If you, if you like and never confront your spouse, that's probably a problem. But I would say, err on the side of making sure it's true and then even the way you bring it up, be very gentle be very gracious, be very patient, be very tender, give them a lot of space to process. Like, don't go in like a prosecuting attorney, right? Don't go in like a mountain lion for the attack. Those don't tend to go very well. That's how I would counsel you. But at the flip side, if somebody came up and said, uh, last night my spouse was accusing me of some stuff, and I don't feel like they were very nice about it. They were a little aggressive and they were a little mad. They exaggerated, what I'd say is, for your own heart, brother or sister, is there even the grain of sand of truth in the accusation that we're making? And if you're like, well, yeah, maybe, I guess, hypothetically, then at some level, who cares how they delivered the message? If they're speaking the truth to you as Christians, we ought to be so in love with the idea of being holy before God, right before God, 
serious about our practical holiness that even if somebody delivers the message in kind of a harsh way that we say, I'll take it. I don't like it. I might like to say, next time could you be a little bit more gentle? But it's like, but when in doubt, keep bringing it because I need the feedback. Okay. Um, I think I've shared this before, but I'll share it again. Especially this one child who he and I are much better now, but when he was younger, we were like oil and water, and we would get into arguments, and he would leave, and my wife almost instantly would say, would you like some feedback? <laughs> right, and it's like, no, I don't. <laughs> what, what I want is a compliment for how well I did. If you have some positive feedback, please share that with me. But, but 99% of the time, what I would say is yes. And I would just sit there. I would try not to cross my arms, right, you know? Just going to sit there and just listen. Because if I can't take feedback from the one person who knows me the best and sees me the most, even if it's biased, because I got news alert, every human being on planet Earth is biased to some degree, right? So if I can't learn to take feedback from somebody that's biased, we're gone. There's no hope. You're going to live in the echo chamber of your own mind and your own justification. Okay. Um, all right. Where do you get the heart to do this? Right? Because listen, everything in my flesh screams against this, right? Defend yourself. Don't let other people attack you. Certainly if they're mean about it. Keep a strong outer front. You never let them see you sweat. Don't let you go. It's, guys, it's your prayer life. Because the other thing that ought to happen, if you're really praying, when you, when you feel falsely accused, if you are primarily going to the place of prayer and you're wrestling this out with God, yes, there will be conviction. But listen, if there's one person in the universe that knows how to speak the truth and love perfectly, it's our Father God, is it not? He's... He is so gracious and tender in the way that He brings conviction into our lives, is He not? He's never an ounce more harsh than He has to be. He's going to be strong enough to get our attention and not an ounce more. I love the story of Job. Because the book of Job starts out with God saying, Job is the godliest guy on planet earth. That's a pretty good vindication. Right? God's saying to Satan, best guy in the universe, right down there. And then his life falls apart. And then a lot of people start piling on. And Job is mad at his friends. And by the end, he's mad at God. And he says some stupid stuff. And when God finally shows up, he does rebuke Job. And Job has to repent. So even though Job was the best guy on planet Earth, it wasn't that Job was sinlessly righteous. And sometimes God will use even the seasons of absolute false accusation to say, I want to take you a little bit deeper. I want to show something you couldn't see until now. And I know it hurts. But then by the end of the book, Job's revived, Job's redeemed, his family's restored. He gets another public, audible vindication. You're right, It's like, hey, the friends, you've been lying about me. 
Job, he spoke rightly of me, even though he said a couple things stupid. That's, and you guys can't even be right with me again until Job prays for you. So, I don't know what's going on in your life, but the next time you're being falsely accused, whether it's tiny or whether it's large, primarily handle it in prayer. God, you fight for me. You speak for me. You vindicate me. But oh yeah, Lord. If hypothetically maybe there is one or two little places that I need to see and confess, okay, I want to see it. This is not the way that I would like to see it. But I want you to show me whatever is going on. Um, The only way that we can really do it, listen, the model, if you're like... David's a great model, but the, but the best model is the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of David. I mean, talk about being falsely accused. He's the one person that ever lived that was falsely accused. And didn't matter how deep you dug down into his heart, you weren't going to find one shred of evidence of even one sinful thought, desire, or motive. I mean, you remember, I mean he literally, it's like the kingdom of this world, his own Jewish people, the Roman government all throwing all these false accusations at him. And he didn't even speak up once to defend himself. Talk about humility. Why? Because who cares what the human court says about you when you're convinced that the divine court is smiling Right? If I'm vindicated before the judge of all the earth and I'm 100% certain, people's criticisms, people's false accusations can roll off my water like a duck's back. And part of what it does is it frees me up so that if there is the needle of truth in their haystack of error, I'll be able to hear it. Because my defenses will not be up so passionately. Does that make sense? Listen. If you're in Christ, what it means, Christ was innocent and he got condemned in your place for all the sins that you've ever committed, the past, the present, the future, even the ones you don't know that you've committed. The ones that are so deeply buried in your heart, you've never even seen them to confess them. He died for those two. He get he got condemnation, you get justification. You get vindication. We know this theological truth. In my experience, most of us don't live daily in light of this theological truth near enough. It's like a mental abstraction. It's like, I know I get to go to heaven when I die, and that's really exciting. But when the boss is mean to me, it still flies all over me. And I'm not saying it shouldn't hurt at all, but it should hurt a heck of a lot less. Look back at verse 6 for just a minute. I shall wash my hands in innocence and I will go about your altar, O Lord. You know what he's doing there in the tabernacle? He's walking around the altar, the sacrifice on the altar, and saying, I'm innocent. I still don't fully understand this thing, but I know I can come into the presence of a holy God and say, I'm innocent. Not because I'm really 100% innocent, but because this innocent lamb got slaughtered for me. 
and he's walking around it. He's, he's meditating. He's enjoying. He's rejoicing. And guys, what Sunday morning worship ought to be, what your morning quiet time along with the Lord ought to be, and what really every second that you need ought to be, especially when you're getting falsely accused, is in my mind's eye, I'm walking around a crucified Savior, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. It takes away my sin. So I'm free. So I don't have to feel the need to defend myself because I've already been defended from the wrath of God by the blood of His Son. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for all the theological truths that we know so well. But I pray for myself, I pray for all of us, that we would experience the reality of these truths more fully in a life-transformative way that would affect our marriages, would affect our places of work, that would affect us in the good times and the bad times and the hard times and the crazy times and the seemingly unfair times when we're falsely accused. There would be freedom. There would be power. There would be humility. There would be honesty to confess what we have really done and to not worry about the things that we're falsely accused about. More and more would you make us into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray all this in his name. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.